Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Here we go. Three, two. By the way, I have no clue what this clip is. Three, two, one. <laughs> Sarah transformed 800 pounds of butter into the sculpture you will soon see. Uh, I am told that she used salted butter, if that uh, matters to any of you. Where did you get this? This is one, one of my favorite things to bring my friends to, and that's our uh, our butter cow, our special butter cow, which, by the way, this is the fifth year that Sarah Pratt has uh, sculpted the butter cow for us. Uh, done a terrific job every year. It's unique every year. Uh, this is no exception. Absolutely true. <laughs> Your Ben Jarofsky Show for oh, Lord. Wednesday, March 9th, is brought to you by SEIU Healthcare, Illinois, Indiana, the Chicago Federation of Labor, the Chicago Teachers Union, and Chicago Reader. ChicagoReader.com for all things there is to know the city of Chicago. Subscribe to the Chicago Reader. Why not, right? You'll get articles from Ben Jarofsky and so much more. Chicago Reader. And if you want to help out this program, you can. ChicagoReader.com forward slash Jarofsky. J-O-R-A. V is in victory. S-K-Y. It is Wednesday, March 9th, and this is The Ben Jarofsky Show. Today on the program, two Ben Jarofsky Show all-stars. Sergio Mims from the Black Harvest Film Festival and legendary Chicago journalist Monroe Anderson. Now your host, Chicago Reader columnist Ben Jarofsky. Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this Brightest One Wednesday, and here's why. The Bright One, of course, refers to my beloved Chicago Sun-Times, home delivered every day. been reading the Chicago Sun-Times since the 1960s, ladies and gentlemen. The Brightest One in the Bright One. It was called the Bright One. I, saw, I, told, I call it the Bright One all the time, Dave, and I realize a lot of people don't realize I did not come up with that name for the Sun-Times. No. Wait a minute. Not come, <laughs> Wait a minute. You've been reading the Sun-Times since the 60s. Yes, sir. You moved to Chicago in the 80s. Yes. Wait. Oh, so you were in Evanston at the time. Duh. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I thought you were like in Rhode Island. Like, ah, oh, I love this. Chicago. No, it's true. It's a good point, and thank you for bringing that up. I used to read the Providence Journal. There you go. That's a name that has never been uttered in the state of Illinois ever. I just uttered it. Got to get. That's where I learned to read newspapers, the Providence Journal. That's where I learned to read box scores about baseball games, ladies and gentlemen. But enough about me. Uh, but yes, you're right. That was a really good insight on your just part. Just make it sure. I didn't know if you My, were like um, in Rhode Island, just loving Chicago <laughs> politics. I did not read the Sun Times when I was in Rhode Island. I was reading the Providence. I would go. 
Mommy, can I have the comic section, please? <laughs> Love Buzz Sawyer. Be reading the comics. Mommy, can I have the sports section, please? Read the sports section. Was not reading about politics when I lived in Rhode Island, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. But my family moved to Evanston, my beloved hometown, and uh, we subscribed to the Sun Times. And every day, D, I would be reading the Sun Times. And let me just be honest. Here's the Chicago Sun Times. Please. This is. Okay, so the Sun Times is tabloid, ladies and gentlemen, and so it's you can read it like front to for, back or back to front. If you go back to front, you're starting with the sports section. There, I just taught millennials something about my beloved bright one, uh, and I would read it back to front back in the day because I love sports. Sometimes, D, if the news is really depressing, a confession I will now make: please do not let this get around. I still read it occasionally from the back to the front. <laughs> No, <laughs> yes, confession, <laughs> confession time. Although today's sports, I don't come on. Sometimes sports guys, your obsession with Aaron Rodgers is just a little much. Aaron Rodgers, of course, quarterback for the Green Bay Packers. Enough football talk, D. This is what I was going to say. The bright one had a campaign calling itself the bright one back in the eighties. And so I still call it the bright one because I love that campaign. All right. Enough of that. <laughs> The brightest one in today's bright one, it was a uh, very uh, competitive race. What was the smartest article uh, in today's Sun-Times? And our pool of judges, our panel of judges, distinguished judges, Sergio Mims, Monroe Anderson, Dr. D, uh, who else did not participate in this, but I'm pretending they did. Mick Dumpke weighed in. Uh, Mayor Lori Lightfoot, we sent her an email. She got back. All of our judges got together. Actually, I was only the, the only judge in this panel, but great, great, great letter to the editor by a gentleman named Brian Collins. I do not know Brian Collins. Great letter to the Let me just say this about letters to the editor. Uh, Mick Dumpke has accused me of being the only man in Chicago who reads editorials. Uh, yes, I read editorials. Uh, I'm also perhaps the only person in the city of Chicago who reads letters to the editor. I love letters to the editor. And uh, the, the today's comes from this. I said, uh, Brian Collins, Griffin, why not run for office yourself? That's the headline. When I saw the headline, I go, clearly Brian Collins is a Dr. D fan. Because <laughs> Dr. D on this show for thank you, literally weeks, if not months, I've lost track of time has been advocating on Oh, What a Week uh, that Ken Griffin, the richest man in the state of Illinois, uh, the man that Dr. D uh, lovingly calls Kenny G, that Kenny G, not to be confused with the sax player, Kenny G, the richest man in the state of Illinois, although if Kenny G, the sax player, lived in Illinois, I think he would give Kenny G, the hedge fund operator, run for his money on riches. Just saying. Kenny G's made a few bucks. Anyway. Dentist offices around the world play Kenny G. He worked worked the deal. You know what? I saw the Kenny G documentary about the sax player, not the uh, billionaire hedge fund operator who uh, wants to destroy unions, apparently, but uh, and elect uh, weird Republicans uh, as our governor, uh, like his old pal Bruce Runner. But Kenny G, the sax player, is hugely popular in China. Did you know this, D? No. Did you know? I, I did not know this until I saw the documentary. Uh, I may be the only man in the city of Chicago who has seen the Kenny G documentary and reads editorials and letters to the editor. How about that <laughs> distinction? <laughs> I'm all over the map. Uh, anyway, uh, Kenny G is hugely popular in China. 
Uh, and as a result, is even richer than he would be if he wasn't popular in China, which kind of makes sense if you think about it. Anyway, Brian Collins, uh, excellent letter about Ken Griffin. Headline, Griffin, why not run for office yourself? As I said, Dr. D has been advocating this for months. If you're going to spend all this money to elect Richard Irvin as governor of uh, Illinois, why don't you just run yourself? Why bother? You know, why have a middleman? And really, when you think about it, folks, I'm just now thinking about this. If all that requires to get elected as governor of the state of Illinois is to have a lot of money to buy uh, ads and commercials, et cetera, you don't have to campaign. You don't have to go to debates. You don't have to go to the state fair. You know how politicians show up at the state fair and shake hands and look at the butter cow? You don't have to do any of that. No. Just air commercials. And it's not like it's anything new. It's been done before. You don't have it's not like you're taking a huge risk. I mean, there has been proof that it's worked before. I'm not a doctor. <laughs> know what I mean? I haven't heard I'm not a doctor <laughs> in so long. I Trump. Mean, I, <laughs> there's proof uh-oh. that it's worked before. Let's begin with phase one. <laughs> uh-oh. Uh-oh, COVID kicking in. That's just a cough. What was Trump saying I'm not a doctor in response to? Do you remember? <laughs> Probably with, someone with COVID or something. <laughs> I mean, it's something. I'm not a doctor. And there's proof that it's worked before. Yay for our teachers. <laughs> Yay for our teachers. Uh, get, get it, get it, ladies and gentlemen. Rich guys who ran for high office. With no experience. With no experience running high office. And it worked. Three for three. So I'm just thinking about this. Nobody ever heard of Richard Irvin. Except for the residents of Aurora, presumably, who elected him as their mayor. And Shia Kapos and Rich Miller. That's it. Those are the only people in the state of Illinois who had ever heard of Richard Irvin. Somehow or other, his resume got to the desk of Kenneth Griffin, the richest man in the state of Illinois, a Republican who despises Democrats, apparently. Really can't stand J.B. Pritzker. Has vowed to do whatever it takes to unseat J.B. Pritzker. Spending no... Sky's the limit in terms of cash. Money is not an object. It's sort of like Dr. D's attitude toward clothes. Money is no concern. You know it, baby. You know it. (laughs) I just want to make sure he's paying attention. Anyway. But no, Ken Griffin's treating this guy, he's treating it like uh, like a plumber or something. You know what I mean? Like, ah, just call in this guy, get it done, and we'll- No, do it yourself. And and that, by the way- DIY. Uh, he calls in this guy as a plumber. It's 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 he took a plumber that's not even like in the plumbing telephone book. He <laughs> yeah. just took some like we don't even know if the guy's a legit plumber. It's, as I said, the only people and don't act. I, this really irritates me. People act like they knew who Richard Irving was. Stop it, Chicago. Stop it. You never heard of him until Kenny G plucked him, told all the other rich guys, this is my candidate. They kicked in the money. He put on a bunch of commercials. And now everybody's like, oh, yes, Richard Irvin. <laughs> you notice how everybody's an expert uh, after the fact. Oh, yes, I was well aware of Richard Irvin. Mm-hmm. I know his policies. Richard Irvin doesn't even know his policies. Richard Irvin is like a Democrat criminal defense lawyer who's now running as a tough-on-crime Republican. <laughs> MAGA, you going to fall for it, MAGA? I'm just asking you right now. MAGA's like, whatever Kenny G says, we do. Anyway, so Kenny G plucked this guy out of obscurity, has propped him up with all these com- with money, which will enable him to blanket the state with commercials. So Republican voters will go, well, this is our guy. Sounds good to me. <laughs> Paying a lot of attention to politics on huh, Republicans. 
So Dennis's point has always been, why don't you just run yourself? You know, you don't, it doesn't require anything other than airing commercials. You don't even have to show up at debates. <laughs> just air commercials, you know, get people to vote. I think it was a great idea. I had to give him credit. I thought of ways, ladies and gentlemen, I could steal it and pretend it was my idea. But no, he said it so often that I gave it to Dr. D. Anyway, this letter can, writer, Brian. Can, we can share it. We can share it. <laughs> we can share the idea. <laughs> okay. We can share. It's share and sunny. Uh, anyway. So this relates uh, to an editorial that the Sun-Times wrote regarding an, uh, an investigative report that Dave McKinney did. It gets complicated, ladies and gentlemen. It's always complicated. Oh, explaining things to the masses is not easy because you just got to explain A, you got to explain B, you got to explain C. Dave McKinney, ace investigative reporter for WBEZ and a guest on the Ben Jarofsky show. The show dropped this weekend. Uh, I urge everybody to check it out. Uh he wrote a story about how Ken Griffin's company has invested in gun manufacturing companies, even though Ken Griffin uh, is candidate, Richard Irvin, is airing all these commercials talking about how he's going to take a tough stance against violence. And McKinney's article raised a very interesting point. Should Ken Griffin be uh, accountable or should the gun manufacturers, I should say, be accountable for the carnage that their products create people shoot other people with guns so should you should if you're up if you're really going to make a stance against violence in the city of chicago if you're going to say that's the number one issue we must address uh in the next gubernatorial election should you not consider the role that gun manufacturers play in the carnage made perfect sense to me and so uh, dave mckinney wrote this article uh, Dave, uh, which ran on BEZ, and then the Sun Times ran it. Uh, Sun Times wrote an editorial, uh, and then Ken Griffin responded uh, with a letter to the editor of the Chicago Sun Times, which essentially blasted the uh, editorial as amateurish virtue signaling. I will not embrace today's cancel culture nor engage in amateurish virtue signaling based on blind ideology. In other words, he didn't address in any substantial way uh, the points that Dave McKinney raised. He just trashed it with classic MAGA talking points, calling it virtue signaling. Uh, virtue signaling, of course, is when you say something, this is a MAGA accusation, when you say something just because you know it, it makes you think good, feel good about saying it, makes you look good about saying it, as though you have an ulterior motive uh, for saying you don't really believe it. I don't know. I really do believe that gun manufacturers uh, should be held accountable for the carnage caused by the weaponry. I do. If guns, if there's a secondary market for guns where they're illegally sold and the gun manufacturers aren't doing anything of substance to crack down on that, I think they should be held accountable. Yeah, I absolutely do. So anyway, uh, this letter writer, in response to Ken Griffin's letter, said, quote, I'm reading the letter. I just wanted to thank Ken Griffin for providing me with such a good laugh after reading his letter to the editor on March 2nd. You'd think after reading it that if Citadel Security ceased to exist, nobody on this planet would be able to buy a house, save for retirement, or fund a child's education. But guess what? If his company was not in business, we should still be able to do all of those things to other companies uh, thanks to other companies, especially those without an order, without an owner, with such a craven and obvious political agenda. You'd think the man who gave the state 
the Bruce Rauner, who actually made some of us long for the days of the corrupt Rod Bogoyevich would hide in the political weeds for the rest of his life. Why doesn't Ken Griffin put his money where his mouth actually is like Governor Pritzker did and run for office himself instead of purchasing a lackey to do his bidding? Brian Collins. Excellent letter, Brian Collins. I await Ken Griffin's response. I'm sure he'll accuse you, Brian, of, what does he put it? Uh, amateurish virtue signaling. That's MAGA's way of saying, we don't want to engage you in the merits of your argument. We just want to dismiss it uh, with an ad hominem attack so that we can just go on doing whatever we were doing before without thinking about it. Without further ado, I'm going to bring on a man who does not engage in virtue signaling, believes the things he says, and that, of course, is the legendary journalist, Monroe Anderson. Welcome back to the show, Monroe. Mr. Virtuous himself. Yes, Mr. Virtuous <laughs> himself. Um, we, uh, our, our second guest is supposedly Sergio Mims. What do you think the uh, odds are that he uh, will not weigh in? I've not heard from him at all today, Monroe. Just, uh, it's always funny with Sergio. Sometimes he answers his phone. Sometimes he doesn't answer his phone. Hey, he's doing his homework. He's listening to my previous sessions. <laughs> so <laughs> he'll know what to think and what to be contrarian about. I see. I got to tell you, uh, th- these the shows where I have uh, Monroe's old friends that come on and debate him are exceedingly popular. Lee Allen Jones shows uh, really t- do well, uh, Monroe Anderson. Lee Allen Jones apparently has a lot of uh, fans out there who love to see him engage you uh, with his positions, which more or less are on the left these days. Uh, although it's hard to tell. Uh, sometimes Lee Allen seems to be heading the libertarian direction. All right, Monroe, uh, we're facing confronting World War III uh, with um, the conflict in Ukraine, Russians' invasion of Ukraine. And I'm so troubled on this on so many levels, I almost don't want to talk about it, even though it's like, what else do you talk about? Just the notion of facing World War III, just the notion of like a nuclear showdown, you know, bombs falling uh, over this invasion of Ukraine, over uh, Putin's aggression, and how the West responds to it, how NATO responds to it. My friends of the leftist uh, persuasion are telling me that NATO plays uh, a role in all this, and we should not hide from that. Uh, there's utter madness out there, Monroe oh, Anderson. How, how does NATO play a role? Oh, my goodness. Uh, well, NATO plays a role. I'm going to bring on uh, a real true blue leftist for you uh, to engage in. Okay. Uh, uh, and uh, be really interesting to see how that goes. But uh, no, the uh, the uh, the Democratic Socialists, uh, they backed away from this uh, position. Uh, DSA, Democratic Socialists of America, released a position, uh, what was it, about a month, a couple of weeks ago? And the group condemned the invasion of Ukraine, but also urged the United States to withdraw from NATO and to end the imperialist expansionism that set the stage for this conflict. And so the argument is that uh, NATO effectively provoked Putin and that uh, Putin is responding the way most uh, superpowers do when they feel threatened, like the United States, when they felt threatened by missiles in Cuba, uh, set the stage for a nuclear war. This is 1962. You were a young man. You weren't even yeah, a man. Nice. You, were just a yeah, you, could, you could miss that one. Yes, you so could. Okay, now this is the problem with that argument. Go ahead. Because I've, I've had it with others. Mm-hmm. Is that how would we feel? This is where the argument goes. How would we, the United States, feel 
if Russia were to post missiles in, say, Cuba, which they did back then. Mm -hmm. The difference is that we have not been aggressive. The reason NATO was founded is because Russia, the Soviet Union was, was um, holding these small nations hostage and, and, and adding on to them. And so the, NATO was founded to protect these nations, the Western nations, against Russian expansionism. But, um, they have not, NATO has not aggressively, violently t invaded and taken over any country. Um, they have aggressively um, recruited former Soviet Union nations to be a part of NATO, but they recruited them, and these people were happy to go under the protective wing of NATO because of Russia. And Putin is trying to make Russia great again. And so he's, 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 he's on this mission to bring drag these countries kicking and screaming back into a federation. As it was, one of the things Putin, Putin cried after the 91, and they, when, when the Soviet Union fell apart, they tore down the wall. I mean, he went home and literally cried. He says that's the worst uh, international um, occurrence that happened in the 21st century. Well, that would have been the 20th century. But go 20th, ahead. I'm sorry, yeah. 20th century, yeah. And I, 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 I know people who lived in communist countries, you know, Romania for one, who escaped, literally risked their lives to get the hell out of there because they didn't like the system. And if you look at Russia right now, under Putin's stewardship, um, if uh, he's, he's shutting down all of the uh, media that, that does not toe the party line. I mean, imagine if Fox News became the official media organ of all of America instead of 40%. What type of information we would not get and how many lies, steady flow of lies we get. Mm. And so it's not the same. Well, I got to tell you that uh, it is, it, it, it's a challenge uh, for the left, uh, the far left in this country. Uh, there's an article in today's New York Times that talks about sort of the, uh, the dancing they're doing on this subject, uh, because the position has been the position of uh, DSA uh, has in the past been that NATO is responsible for provoking uh, Russia, and uh, that we should re rethink our uh, whole foreign policy structure, particularly uh, the the idea of cordoning off Russia with NATO. And uh, in many ways, this is a throwback uh, to Cold War debates. Uh, that I grew up listening to. Yeah. And, but right now, uh, the Russian invasion of Ukraine is just so one-sided in the horror of it all. Right. It's just, it's such a blatant blow against humanity. Right. That it's very difficult for anyone uh, to advocate that old position. And even MAGA, 
Monroe, even MAGA is having to back off to a degree on its support for Putin. uh, At least some of them. Some of them. I mean, uh, that are so crazy that. Yeah. So, yeah. But but overall, I mean, because what Putin is doing to the Ukraine is what he did to Syria. He just blew everything up. Hospitals, elementary schools, um, just innocent citizens, um, because that's his way of war. You just level everything um, and um, until your enemy surrenders. Well, I have a hard time in general overlooking all the atrocities uh, that you not United States presidents, presidents of the United States have waged throughout the world. I have a really hard time doing that. I have a hard time accepting the fact that Dick Cheney, for instance, vice president uh, under Bush, who was apparently the brains of Bush's uh, launching of two wars should be listened to uh, in this matter. So it's really difficult for, for me. So I understand where my leftist uh, friends are coming from, but it's just so the aggression of Putin and the destruction that you've been pointing out for weeks that's been going on. It's just, I just have a very difficult time just walking away from that and looking the other way at that by saying stuff like, well, the United States did the same thing in Vietnam or the yeah, United States right. did the well, same thing know, in Cambodia or the United States did the same Trump thing. Was was challenged about Putin being a murderer, how he killed his enemies, mm-hmm. had media people killed. Uh, Trump's response was, well, uh, we kill people too. Yeah. And this is true, but sometimes it's a matter of scale. Sure, we kill people, but we have not um, in, in war targeted hospitals and elementary schools and innocent citizens. Now, sometimes we've made mistakes and, and, um, and we have overreacted, you know, the, com- the communist threat back in the, uh, with the Soviet Union and, and China, where anybody who was not affiliated with the communists was our friend. And anybody who did become uh, affiliated with, with them was our enemy. So, you know, and you had Zero Mostel just uh, really um, punished uh, simply because he was deemed a sympathizer of communism. So, you know, so no. So, what I mean, made you think of Zero Mostel? Zero Mostel was one of my favorite comedians and actors of the 60s. The guy is hilarious, but yeah. he was uh, blacklisted. Uh, right. He, uh, he he couldn't work in Hollywood in the fifties uh, because either he uh, had signed a card saying he was a member of the Communist Party or hung out right. with people or wouldn't name names. I can't remember the specifics of Zero Mostel's case. Uh, what in the world made you think of Zero Mostel? I haven't thought of Zero Mostel in a long time. It was, I, it was in a conversation I had earlier this morning. I see. The great ideas, Cabinet. I see. Uh, all right. They brought him up. Uh, but here, here's uh, I'll just close with this one. 
this is a fascinating article about socialist response to war in Ukraine alienates some Democrats. And again, uh, these uh, DSA candidates are in, up for election. They're fighting in primaries. These are Democratic primary, primaries they're in. Uh, and it's just really tough going to win a primary, even a Democratic one, uh, if you have all the right, when you have all the right positions, and I write in quotes, uh, right. on right. things like how you spend money and yeah, inequity, et cetera, and so forth. Correct. That's the correct. Right. Thank you. Yeah, right. uh, right. uh, I wouldn't say, <laughs> I don't like using the word politically correct, but your point's well taken. Here's a quote from, uh, here we go. Locally, the DSA's viewpoint has been most energetically advanced by Kristen Richardson Jordan, a councilwoman from Harlem and Democrat socialist who was not backed by the organization in her campaign for August. Quote, in 2014, the U.S. helped overthrow Ukraine's democratically elected leader in an illegal coup, helped install a fascist government and empowered our far right military, all within the goal, all with the goal of destabling Russia. Ms. Jordan said recently on Twitter, accusing the United States and European Union of provoking Russia with NATO expansion. Comments that some uh, said provided cover for Putin. She did not respond to requests for comments, but during a recent radio appearance, Ms. Jordan was asked to justify her position. She repeated her prior claims and drew open pushback from council colleagues. Quote, I'm not sure it makes sense to dive into the details of international politics when I'm in local office, she said on the Brian Lehrer show. And Monroe, that's the point. That last comment. Yeah. Uh, you, yes, you dive into international uh, issues. People want to hear what you think about them. But if your comments are alienating your voters, then you retreat. I mean, it's just such a basic political exactly. uh, premise. Uh, and you avoid it if 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 your perspective is is vastly different. Yes. From the voters, then that's something you don't want to talk about. Yes. And uh, and and what you do is called bridging in um in in politics, where you you give it a very short and brief answer, and then move on to what you want to talk yes. about. That's what they call. They got a. Uh, we call it ducking and dodging, ev- avoiding and evading, dancing. Since I've been in both worlds, yeah, and I, and I know ducking and dodging. I also know bridging. <laughs> bridging is another a very a variation of ducking and dodging. By the way, Sergio Mims has joined us. I don't know where he is. He just left, proving he, me he's wrong. Ducking and dodging already. <laughs> <laughs> don't hide, Sergio. Come back. Sergio's hiding. <laughs> Quit ducking and dodging. We haven't been discussing anything yet. <laughs> Come back, my friend. Come back. Uh, all right. Uh, he just showed up and then he walked away. Um, all right. I wanted to ask you this. Uh, I wanted to. Um, yeah, here he comes back. Sergio Mims has returned, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. He came on the show and then he immediately left. Right. Yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. Were, were you talking about Long Dong Laurie? No, we're going to get to that. We're going to get to Long Dong Laurie. Uh, Sergio, probably the only uh, person in the city of Chicago other than me who remembers that one of Clarence Thomas' favorite movies uh, was Long Dong Silver. Uh, that was a revelation that came out in 1991 uh, during its confirmation hearing uh, well, he, in the U.S. He was Senate. also a spotter of, of pubic hairs on coke cans. 
Yes. He's a, a, a very, had some interesting um, personal habits and as a libertarian of sorts of personal habits, as long as he's not hurting anybody, I had no ob- objection to it. I stated at the time, not that anyone was listening to me in 1991, uh, that that would be not the reason that would not be the reason I voted against him for his confirmation. Uh, but uh, the, for the fact that he was being used as a tool by white supremacists to destroy the legacy of the man he was replacing in the Supreme Court, I still have not gotten over that. And I think Monroe Anderson agrees with me in that. All right. Speaking of Supreme Court nominees, Monroe, I need to ask you, and Sergio, you get to weigh in this too. Katanji Brown Jackson uh, is clearly qualified, and I have by any means, uh, by any standard, to be a Supreme Court justice. Uh, and then I'm, I'm just watching with dismay uh, as the far right that brags about their lack of scholarly achievements. Donnie Trump, uh, Tucker Carlson, well, Tucker Carlson particularly brags about the fact that he basically, you know, was just a lousy student. Uh, they're calling into question her qualifications. They want to see her test scores. Monroe? I will start with you, and then we'll go to Sergio. What's going on here? I think I know what's going on here. Uh, let me just point out once again, uh, uh, Judge Jackson is a uh, black woman. So, Monroe, what is going on here when uh, Tucker Carlson and Donnie Trump, et cetera, call into question Brown Jackson's qualifications? Racism. That's plain and simple. It's racism. It's any black person, because I, 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 I've been attacked this way also. Any black person who has any accomplishments whatsoever got there and is doing that because of affirmative action. And it's um, Obama, if you remember, they wanted to see his transcript. And he couldn't. He couldn't. He couldn't perform without the use of a um, uh, trans. Know, the word is escaping me right now. Where you have to look in the screen, screen and oh, read teleprompter. The teleprompter. Yeah, and he couldn't perform without use of a teleprompter. He wasn't that bright. Besides being being a Muslim, and and being from uh, Kenya born. He also wasn't really that bright either. I mean, it's just racism. Right? It's 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 done over and over and over again. Uh, by the way, you were attacked uh, on that front. Yeah, on on, um, on Facebook. Oh, on Facebook by by an attorney who said that um, basically called me an, a, an affirmative action product. Now, in the the reality of my life is, I got my start in journalism as one of um, in affirmative action when the when the uprising city uprisings were happening mm-hmm. in urban city after urban city, and there were no zero white reporters, and they stuck out like a sore thumb in riots. Um, the um, media, <laughs> mainstream media, decided maybe they should have a black person. They're going to throw bricks at them. <laughs> Let it be a black person. Not one of our good white boys. Yeah. So they started. Um, oh, God. They called it goodwill, but they started yeah. um, 
hiring blacks. For example, Joe, Joe Boyce was the first black reporter at the Chicago Tribune. He had been a policeman, a Chicago policeman, that they recruited. And this was in 1970, wait, sorry, 68, 60, mm-hmm. no, 70, somewhere around there, 70, 70. Somewhere around there, um, um, Ewing, um, Russ Ewing. Russ Ewing was a fireman. Yeah, I did not know that. Yeah, he's a Chicago fireman. Yeah. So they, they were affirmative action hires. I my internship at Newsweek was an affirmative action in, in 1968. Was an infer, affirmative action hire because they were expecting riots. They wanted a black reporter. But affirmative action only carries you so far. At some point, you know, they may get get a foot in the door, which normally wouldn't have happened, but it doesn't stay there simply because you're black. All right, let's bring Sergio in. Uh, Sergio Mims, uh, co-founder of the Black Harvest Film Festival, probably the most knowledgeable uh, scholar of film in the city of Chicago. There, I said it. Uh, Chris Buddy would throw in an argument that he knows a thing or two. Uh, and uh, we're going to bring a, do a show. Sergio and Chris Buddy have agreed to it. I'm just promoting it now. We're going to take a look at The Godfather 50 years after, a movie I'm pretty obsessed with. Uh, but we're not going to talk about that now. I just want to promote that and uh, remind Sergio that he's agreed to do that show. All right, Sergio, your thoughts on what uh, the right is getting at when they question the qualifications of Justice uh, Jackson? Well, sorry, it's the old game. The old game is that uh, appealing to the angry white voters that the reason why your life is so screwed up is because black people have taken everything from you. They're getting all these advantages. They're giving things they don't qualify for that should have gone to you. And that's a playbook that the GOP has run for, gosh, decades. Since Nixon. Yeah, I was going to say the sudden strategy, but right, yeah. for decades. Um, here's the problem. And he, of course, you should expect that. I'm sure Jackson expected, sorry about that, expected that. Here's the problem. Um, GOP may have to tread lightly on her because of the midterms. If they come out in really full force against her, against her that could hurt him with the um, that suburban woman vote that they keep wanting to get. Now, uh, Susan Collins has already indicated she's going to vote for her. She voted for her already uh, for a federal for federal court. Mm-hmm. So it'll be unlikely that she's okay for the federal court, which is not good for the Supreme Court. Uh, Mitt Romney has indicated that he is going to vote for her, and the long shot is that she doesn't change the makeup of the court. Right. So I don't, there's going to be some blowback. There's going to be some pushback, but it's all for show. Now, if this was a case where um, one of the more conservative members of the, um, of the uh, Supreme Court was retiring who had passed away, and then someone like a Jackson comes in, then there will be a fight. There'll be a well, the, the obvious one would be with Clarence when, if let's say Clarence Thomas were to suddenly uh, step down, uh-huh. 
And uh, so, well, that's my theory about Clarence Thomas and why he is the way he is. But we'll what is that. your theory on about that? Well, you know, he's a very odd duck. And um, if you know his background, he was, I think, from North Carolina. South Carolina. South Carolina. He comes from a very, very poor family. He was raised by his grandfather, who was basically a junk dealer. And I read something once that when he was a kid, all the kids used to call him ABC. What does that mean? That stood for America's Blackest Child. That's what they would call him. And I think that he just has this resentment of uh, black people who he felt had came from better homes, better circumstances. He had to always fight his way. He's always put down. Like, I, I absolutely believe um, uh, Anita Hill. When Anita Hill told all the stories, and I said, yeah, I bet he came on to her and she turned him down and he said, you're just another one of those bushy black bees who always turned me down all my life. And yeah, that's him. I think By the way, I, I, I want to theory on that. Wait, hold on. Before you give your theory, I just want to make a correction. I was wrong. I just checked it. He's from Georgia, not South Georgia. Carolina. Georgia, okay. I, I sit corrected uh, on myself. Yeah. Go ahead, Monroe. Okay. Um, and, and by the way, a friend of mine, he he attended her wedding. There was a photograph. This is back well, in who's the wedding? Um, Anita uh, Hill? Yeah. No, 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 no. Uh, Carol, Carolyn White is my friend. No, but she attended Anita Hill's wedding. No, Clarence attended. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. okay. I got to get those pronouns. I get you. Right, okay. exactly. so Clarence right. attended your friend's right. wedding. Go ahead. Yeah. And you won't, you won't believe what he came dressed up as. What? A long jockey? A black panther. He had beret, black oh. leather jacket at the wedding. <laughs> wow. So, I don't know. When and how the transition, but anyway, okay, let me get to my Anita Hill. Okay, that hell longest is that he was attracted to her, right? Uh, and would flirt with her all the time. She needed him because he was ahead of her in, 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 in uh, up the ladder, the career ladder, so she would, um. Just laugh about, laugh it off and go, holy Claire, she's always funny, you know. She be here on the coke can, ha ha ha, that type of thing. But she would go home and tell her girlfriend about this how ridiculous he was and what he was saying. But mm-hmm. you know, but they had this relationship and understanding where he could say it and she 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 would keep him on her good side and it wasn't a big deal. She gets not uh, he gets nominated for a Supreme Court, and the FBI goes out and interviews everybody. And her girlfriends and people that knew the two of them start telling them about his statements, telling the FBI. They come back to her and say, "Did he in fact say this and what have you?" And she didn't didn't want to deny it, so she says reluctantly. Because she doesn't want to give him up either. She says, well, yes. And that set everything into action, into motion. 
Well, all right. I'm going to have to. He was a guy with no social skills whatsoever. Wait, hold on. I got to push back on that theory and then get everybody's response. Okay. Okay. I got to, Sergio, I got to push back and I'll, and I'll tell you, get your your thoughts on this. Uh, That minimize what you're essentially doing. uh, By the way, we're, we're discussing just for millennials. know, uh, a confirmation hearing that took place 30 years ago years ago uh, in 1991 and i'll do anything to avoid talking about world war three and the pending uh apocalypse that's going to devastate us all so i'll be happy to talk about this so just so everybody knows one of the greatest supreme court justices in the history of the united states and i think all three of us will agree with this is thurgood marshall yes and when he stepped down he was the only black man on the supreme court and so this is classic affirmative action All right. George Bush, a Republican, knew he had to replace a black man with a black man. Am I correct with that, Sergio and Monroe? That was the equation, the political equation going into his mind. So what he did was he found a black uh, lawyer who was the exact opposite on every issue that Thurgood Marshall had championed in this long, brilliant career. Right. Clarence Thomas. Right. And propped him up as the second coming of who's the great who's the greatest judge of all Solomon, King Solomon. Okay. And that's at the stage for a very bitter, hostile uh, Supreme Court nomination battle, because I think Monroe and Sergio, you will agree with me. They're replacing Thurgood Marshall with Clarence Thomas is like replacing. I don't know. Barack Obama. The Republicans with, do that all, all the time. That's how we got um, Alan Keyes versus um, there we go. Obama. Yes, exactly. And so I, I'm just so offended. Even 30 years later, I can't get over it. But I don't I think you were minimizing Anita Hill's response to Clarence Thomas. He was her boss. She had right. to be quiet about it and had to kind of go along with it because she could lose her job or get a bad write up. Right. So. I, I think she actually was offended by him coming on to her. Um, no. So, Sergio, take it away. I, I agree. Now, I, I, back, I agree. You, know, you, you guys are in the Me Too era. Back then, that stuff happened all the time. Yeah. It was off. Wait, Sergio, finish your thoughts. Go ahead. No, I, I, I agree with it. I, um, um, that thing happened all the time. Yeah, it's happening now. But that thing happened all the time, and women had to keep quiet about it. And but I still think I still believe that he had a resentment against her because he looked at her and said, "She's one of those bougie chicks, black bougie chicks, who has turned me down all my life, who made fun of me because I came from the south from a poor family, and all that kind of stuff." I I you know, I've seen it in real life. I, there's a resentment there. And I think he, he has a white woman. He didn't care about about her by that time. And look at her; she's one of the most extreme radical right, damn, right, right, right people in the world. I mean, that's like now you stick the knife and you twist it. Uh, by the way, the the wife is Ginny Thomas, uh, who is a I would say a right wing radical activist. I think that's a fair way of uh, summing it up. Uh, and she is married uh, to Clarence Thomas. And I see absolutely no attempt by Clarence Thomas to recuse himself on any issue in which his wife is involved. Just imagine Monroe and Sergio, the outcry 
from the right if it was anything comparable going on with any of the uh, liberal Supreme Court uh, justices. All right, you know what? This brings me to uh, Lori Lightfoot. I want to get your guys' thoughts on this one. Uh, And uh, because I, I had a conversation, and I will not mention the person I had the conversation with, and this has to do with Lori Lightfoot, the revelation uh, in a lawsuit by two Park District employees, by Park District employees suing Lori Lightfoot or suing the city of Chicago uh, and alleging that he was uh, forced to, uh, to quit as a Park District employer because she was so abusive to him uh, in a conversation they had about the Columbus statute. God, this gets complicated. Anyway, according to the uh, allegation uh, in this uh, Zoom meeting, Lori Lightfoot chastised this lawyer saying, did you go to law? What law school did you go to? Did you go to law school? Did you graduate from law school? She was humiliating him about what she considered his lack of sense. Uh, and then she went on this tangent where she said that uh, this lawyer had gotten into a, like sort of a, uh, a big dick swinging contest with Italian Americans over the Columbus statue uh, as to see who has the bigger dick, the biggest dick. And she goes, I just want you to know I have the biggest dick in the city of Chicago, uh, which is quite a claim. And uh, so I, I think that uh, that's an obvious case of an abusive boss. And she could, she should be con- condemned for that if it's true. Now, she won't come out and say if it's true. She does these classic, Sergio, you remember these from Watergate, uh, non-denial denials, where you avoid the issue of whether you actually said it. Monroe's smiling because he knows the game because he was the press secretary to Eugene, sir. You don't deny because if you deny and there's tape of it, then you're going to look pretty bad if you actually did say it. So you just denounce it. Uh and so I got a, a conversation with a woman who said that uh, we're being unfair uh, to Lori Lightfoot because um, we're, white men all the time are abusive. Uh, so it's okay for Lori Lightfoot to be abusive or uh, mm-hmm. she's just acting like uh, white men in general. Sergio Mims, you're nodding your head. You get to go first. Are we being unfair to Lori Lightfoot uh, when we criticize her for allegedly, allegedly, Sergio, saying she has uh, – she uh, has the biggest dick in Chicago. <laughs> Go ahead, think, Sergio Mims. Yeah, I think what she said was pretty mild, considering what Rahm Emanuel probably said behind closed doors to a lot of people when he was mayor of Chicago. Um, he was infamous for his temper, for his foul language. Uh, it didn't come out in the public. I mean, you would hear things here and there. Um, you know what he said to... Um, Cameron Lewis at one time during, during the conversation. Um, he said, fuck you, Lewis. And it did come out in the public. Yeah. But notice he didn't get the kind of grief that, and this is a public official. She, this is the head of the teachers union at the time. And he didn't get any kind near the kind of grief that Lori Lightfoot got. Is Lori Lightfoot rough around the edges? Yeah. It, does she like social skills? Yeah, that's pretty obvious from the beginning. Okay. But I think I think that um uh it's unfair. I think that um um in in, in the girl in the game in the world of politics, that kind of stuff happens behind closed doors. And let's face it, she is mayor of Chicago. 
Yeah, and then uh, Chicago gives you <laughs> right, 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 exactly. Yeah. Right, exactly. Yeah, following up on what Sergio is saying, I, which police chief I can't remember now who said he had the biggest gang in Chicago, meaning oh, the Chicago police. Department. I can't remember now. I right. can't remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah but anyway, I, I think she was in that light. Can we put mm-hmm. that column, you know, of you, you think yours is big, mine is bigger. Yeah. I mean, because, you know, I mean, you really have to be literal to think that she, that her her clip was bigger than any, <laughs> any, <laughs> any dick, you know. <laughs> but, but, no, but here's the thing. Here's the thing. This was a situation which is talking to some Italian-Americans about the statue. I'm sure they don't really look at her with any kind of respect, um, being a black woman, a gay black woman. And she knows that going in. And she says, okay, you want to play that game? I can play it harder. So I I have no problem with, with what happened. You All know, right, sometimes well, you got to do – a guy I would love to know kind of things Harold Washington said behind closed doors. But he said it so brilliantly <laughs> with such elocution that I'm sure a lot of the time people didn't realize he just wiped them out, you know, and they didn't know it. Yeah, no, no, no. Harold was a polished politician, so he, he never would have said anything like that. He had his ways, you know, of, of – of, Correcting people and putting them. That's in what I mean. Way. You know, he would yeah, do it in his way, right? Yeah. For example, one time, um, one of the white reporters was talking about something, and he called it kinky. And Harold stops him and says, "Why is it kinky? Uh, why couldn't it be uh, something else?" You know, it's, uh, and that was a reference, as far as Harold's concerned, to, to black hair being kinky, mm-hmm. and therefore. He was he, he he wanted to make the reporter think about his use of terms. Mm-hmm. Well, all right. Uh, so let me just back up a little bit. Uh, since you mentioned uh, the great Karen uh, Lewis, uh, by the way, I always have to point this out. A proud graduate of Kenwood High School, class of 71, just two years ahead of young Sergio Mims, a young scholar at Kenwood back in the day. Would love to have known Sergio back then. Uh, sitting in the no, Kenwood cafeteria talking about the Godfather, we would have had a field day, Sergio. Uh, probably yeah, be talking about Pam Greer. What's that? I cut school to go see it. Yeah. Oh, I can't wait for that conversation. Anyway, all right. Um, so Rom said to Karen, fuck you, Lewis. Uh, in, a, in a private meeting, they were meeting to talk school policy uh, in his office. And this came out because Karen Lewis really uh, confided. She told uh, what happened. And Rom kind of tried to weasel his way out of it like he does. Sort of like what Lori Lightfoot's doing with the biggest dick uh, in Chicago comment. Uh, but nobody believed him when he said he didn't say it, so he just kind of dropped it. Uh, and nobody believes Lori Lightfoot when she says, she pretends as though she didn't say it. Uh, Karen Lewis did not take it uh, lightly. Uh, Sergio, you'd be happy to know that your classmate at Kenwood High School essentially told Ron, fuck you, fuck me, fuck you. And they went at it. Uh, and because uh, that was Karen. And she told me she went south side on him. I love Karen Lewis. So she was, she took it as an insult. 
And so this is my point. It's not behavior I think that should be tolerated. It's not behavior that we should just write off because, oh, well, that's just how powerful people speak. It's abusive, uh, rude behavior, and our mayors should not fall into the habit of using it just because they can get away with it. I've got to go back to Harold Washington. Go ahead. Politics ain't beanbag. So you get these gutter fights periodically. Well, it's and not a gutter fight if it's a boss talking to a subordinate. That's not a gutter fight. That's just bullying. No, yeah, no, no, no. When a gutter have, fight is have, if you, if, you if Harold and Ed Burke go at it, uh, they're relatively, Ed Burke controlled the, and Bredolia controlled the, the 29, so they had uh, like equal standing with Harold at that time, even though he was mayor. That would be a gutter. But if a mayor abuses a subordinate, in this case, allegedly uh, abused a lawyer for the park district, that's just an employer picking on someone who can't fight back. It's right. Am I? It's not. It's not like if you and Sergio got into an argument and started. I, I, had, I had when I was at Channel Two. I had a boss who was from Mississippi and uh, he would do things like during our conversation, he would talk about how the president was buried in uh, Atlanta or wherever Jefferson Davis oh is buried. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's the type of thing as, as a suburb, you know, either you, you grin or bear it or not. Uh, I mean, that's, there are certain things that happen between human beings because we were at odds with each other. And, and so he would, he, he would say the things. So, I mean, you can't expect it. Um, I mean, if you're being just suppressed, beaten down all the time, that's one thing, but to have your, your, your boss take a pot shot at you, um, and what I did, you know, with him was um, he was bragging about how one of his sons was joining the army and the other was a uh, Minnesota state policeman. And I said to him, as he did with the, the Jefferson Davis comment with me, I said, what did you do to your sons to make them um, get such um, dangerous professions? <laughs> And he well, didn't appreciate that. But I, would yeah. love to, I would love to get Sergio's response to that because I believe that when a, uh, a white man, a white a, a man who is the boss to a black man, tells him that his president uh, is the leader of the Confederacy, that's abusive, over-the-line comments, uh, and he should be uh, punished for that. I don't think that's I, I and I understand the position you were in. You had a family to support. You right. couldn't speak up to him. Uh, it you so you had to take it. But I certainly think it's I don't I don't this think it was morning, right. I didn't take it. I I I I I I I poked back. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, but go ahead, Sergio. Well, but um as I alluded to earlier, we don't know all the circumstances of what led to this outburst. Um, it could have been that the meeting was very cordial at first, but then uh, the people, Lightfoot was Mayor Lightfoot was talking to, got more belligerent, and then it just exploded. Uh, 
into the situation, we don't know exactly the background of what led to all this. All we know is what she said to these guys. And it made it sound like she just said it off the cuff. She said it in a mean-spirited way. And I would like to hear a recording or something of how this conversation went. Because probably would tell a different story altogether. Well, let me just say this. I have to correct you, uh, Sergio. Uh, all we know is what she allegedly said. Right. Because uh, Lori, Lori Lightfoot has not absolutely confirmed that she said it. So it's very important that I add the word allegedly said. Yeah. Uh, it's the subject of a lawsuit. And so maybe there is a record. I would love to. I'm with you, Sergio, 100%. I'd love to see the recording. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, And maybe when it's all said and done, uh, I will say, oh, my God, she absolutely had to say that because of what that lawyer said to her uh, to get her going. Monroe, you were going to say something? Yeah. If Mayor Lightfoot was a man, I would say that she has a Napoleon complex. Uh. <laughs> All right. Uh, <laughs> and uh, anyway, uh, that's uh, – we'll – I'm sorry, I, you made me laugh there, Monroe, and lose my train of thoughts. Uh, speaking of Mayor Lori Lightfoot, uh, the Chicago Sun-Times is already positioning who should run against uh, Mayor Lori Lightfoot. We have a mayor's race coming up really soon. And mm-hmm. this list of candidates was prompted by uh, the fact that Arnie Duncan, uh, another Hyde Park resident, that's a lot of Hyde Park residents getting shout outs today, Sergio, uh, d- dropped out of the race. And uh, I think he. Oh, wait, uh, hold it. He dropped out? Yeah, Sergio, what, where have yeah, you been yeah. hiding? Yes. Yeah, he not, well, well, first of all, you, I can't say he dropped out of the race because he never was officially in the race, but he announced well, last he, week. He, he, there was some talks that he was interested in running. Yeah, I no, he announced he that he was not going to run. He's not uh, going to run. Okay. Yeah, he's not going to run. And uh, You didn't uh, listen to last week's show. Yeah, did you? I'm, we're chastising Sergio. We're going to take away his pay. Oh, wait a minute. We don't pay him, so we can't take it away. Uh, but that's okay, Sergio. <laughs> yes. We can, we can find him, bit. Yeah, we can we take the pay away. We can find him, Tim. We, we can find him, yes. So I'm looking at this list. This list is hilarious. It's like it's like they're just coming up with these names. Gary, Gary Chico, Paul Vallis. Are you kidding me? No, come on. Dude. No, come on. And they're just, I mean, is, is it, what is going on here in the city of Chicago? Nobody wants to run for mayor anymore? I mean, they always go, well, you got to have somebody to, uh, you got to be somebody to beat somebody. And Lori Lightfoot, nobody knew her, and she was elected mayor. So automatically she's somebody now that she's mayor. Right. But Sergio, it's like nobody wants, there's no giants out there. You know, Harold I mean, Washington who, ran a, who, who was a giant. Go ahead. Who else is on the list? Uh, this is the Sun-Times list, all right? right. So they have uh, Congressman Mike Quigley. Hmm. Uh, who is uh, actually my congressman uh, on the north side of Chicago. This is my city clerk, uh, Ana Valencia, who is currently, as we speak, running for secretary of state. So the premise here is that she will lose that election to Giannoulis. She'll lose the primary and then immediately turn around, having just lost an election and run for mayor. It's like, man, we are really scraping the barrel with our. uh... All right, here we go. Uh, They throw in state rep Cam Buckner. Uh, who will be on my show next week. 
I'll be talking to him about uh, being, uh, he's a one, I think he's in his second term as state rep from the South side. And uh, he may be your state rep, Sergio. I don't know how the, the districts are so gerrymandered. Uh, I don't know uh, if his district uh, stretches into your neck of the woods. Bill Conway. I don't know if you guys remember Bill Conway. Uh, he ran against Kim Fox uh, in the primary. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. I'm like, what in the world? What? Bill Conway, Conway got clobbered. Uh, and the attitude is, is as well. His father is, is rich. He's on the list. Is <laughs> <laughs> who? Alan Keys. <laughs> I was going to say, I was going to say, where's Jesse Jackson Jr. on that list? Uh, but wait a minute here on the list. Speaking of which, Jonathan Jackson. He's running. He's running for um, Congress. He's yeah, running he's, run, for, he's for running Bobby Rush's for, seat. Bobby Rush's seat. With 14 other people. Yeah. Uh, I think Monroe just threw his hat in the ring for that race. Uh, <laughs> he just threw my hat in the ring. I live in the district. Well, you don't have to live, live in a congressional district to run for the office. Monroe doesn't yeah, live in You just have to move in later like Rob did. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but they go, well, Jonathan Jackson, yes, he is running uh, for uh, Bobby Rush's seat. But if he loses, okay. Like, what? Uh, it's just, I don't know. I, I, my my point is, is it just there's nobody out there? So we just accept Lori Lightfoot as our mayor uh, for the next four years, Sergio Mims? Uh, well, you know, the thing about politics is anything could turn on a dime. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't forget, at the last mayoral election, Lori Lightfoot at one time was in ninth place. And then Ed Burke came along and he got indicted and it changed a whole dynamic. So anything can happen in politics. You may not see anybody right now, but somebody may come, come around. That's why all these pundits are talking about this big Republican blowout in the midterms this year. I'm like, I I can't make a prediction like that because anything can happen. Mm. Anything can happen. Uh, anyway, I just thought this this list was hilarious. Uh, they're just just throwing everything at the wall. All right, a uh, couple of matters I want to bring up before we close, and I've been uh, uh, waiting to uh, get Monroe's response to this, uh, Sergio. And this, I uh, I may have cheated and read it to him already, uh, but there was a um, an email that was released uh, from Lori Lightfoot regarding Gregory Pratt, who has uh, been a guest on the show several times. He's a reporter for the Tribune. And um, uh, Lori Lightfoot sent this email out to uh, everybody in her, um, uh, her top staff, essentially saying, uh, do not give him any uh, favorable interviews. Do not give him any interviews. Do not give him any scoops. Uh, if he calls, return his call, but just give him the bare minimum of response. And uh, that is it. He's persona non grata uh, effectively. Uh, and uh, because of some critical articles uh, he wrote about uh, Lori Lightfoot and some uh, reporter got a hold of that email and put it on uh, the internet and Greg Pratt, uh, I, I consider it a badge of honor. Here, I'll just read this to you. I am just uh, reminding this group, meaning all the uh, top aides, for the foreseeable future, there will be nothing given as play stories, play stories, Monroe, or friendly background uh, to Gregory Pratt. 
If he makes inquiry, answer it as briefly as possible, but under no circumstances is anyone to give him anything proactively. Are we clear? Mayor Lori Lightfoot. Monroe Anderson, you were uh, a uh, press secretary to Eugene Sawyer. Uh, did you ever issue a proclamation like that about a uh, obnoxious, nettlesome reporter who was embarrassing you by doing his job and reporting uh, stuff that didn't make the mayor look good? Uh, yes, I did. <laughs> yes, and and, uh, and uh, be, be, before I tell you what it was, what that tells me is that one of her top staffers is not backing her because he or she leaked that information. It's not anything that just flows into a reporter's hands. Hmm. But I, 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 as press secretary, I was also in charge of all the um, department head press people. Mm -hmm. And so I had a meeting with them. And I had a situation back then where it was Evans people versus Sawyer's people. And Evans people were acting like they were government in exile. Mm -hmm. And they were leaking all over the place. And so I, I, I told the department head press secretaries, that our job was to make the mayor look good. We were representing him, and we and our job was to make the mayor look good. That was leaked to to ink back then because that was like supposed to be so outrageous, you know. And and, I, and in fact, that's what a press secretary does. They provide the he or she provides the press with information about the administration, but they're not going to, um, no, no self-respecting press secretary would have um, released the um, big dick, biggest dick comment from, from Mayor Lightfoot, because that makes, that makes her look bad. So that's yeah. not the sort of thing you would say. Well, that big dick comment, just so everybody knows, was not released by uh, the Lightfoot administration. It was part of a, a lawsuit filed. Yeah, uh, no, no, but yeah. we're just using that as an example. Right, I got you, I got you. Okay. About that. Got it. Uh, yeah, I listen, press but secretary. Report, okay, but let, let's, let, let me, okay, as my job as a press secretary. Part of what you can do as a press secretary or as a mayor is you can freeze reporters out. If, if if they are antagonistic, if you don't think they're giving you fair play, mm -hmm. then you can punish them. Yeah, because I mean, it is it, it is a it is a game of sharp elbows. This you know it's it is presented like it's all nice and sweet and what have you, but yeah. it is not. Yeah. No, I, I press secretaries. Uh, I always put it this way: Monroe are essentially publicists uh, for the person who hire them, paid right. by the public, publicly right. paid private publicists, if you will. Uh, yeah, and, they, uh, but they also handle public issues. I mean, they're not just private publicists, but that is a, a major part of the job. Yes. Well, yeah, but whenever there's a, they listen. If there's a public matter uh, that involves the mayor their job is to make the mayor look good right exactly. uh, so it's they're they're just not um uh completely objective uh purveyors of no no not by any stretch of imagination 
and I just I thought that was a very interesting. She just brought out uh, essentially the way the game is played. And I, any reporter in Chicago knows this is how the game is played. Uh, if you irritate the mayor, uh, and it doesn't matter who the mayor is, Rom or uh, Daly, it's definitely the same, played the same game. They would uh, just cut you off. Now, again, in my experience, Monroe, the only mayor that didn't do that was Harold Washington, who just, he liked the engagement. Uh, he would chastise. Oh, don't get me wrong. He would chastise a reporter, and he did many times. Right. Who we thought were uh, had gone too far, or uh, right. He oh, he used to have those fights with Walter Jacobson, but he he didn't cut him off. You know, he still talked to him. Right. Well, he, and, and well, the thing is, um, you don't cut them off permanently. You cut them off long enough for them to think about how they're handling you. Yeah. And then right. you then then you let them back in. I mean, you know, you, you uh, the mayor of Chicago cannot cut out the tr- Chicago Tribune forever, he, uh, e- even in its weakened state. Yeah. And it was a lot more powerful back when I was press secretary. Yes, it was. Now. But you can, you can let them know. In, in fact, one of the, the charges against me in the Sawyer administration was that I was too nice to reporters. Mm. And, you know, and I was nice to reporters, but that's because I understood how reporters operate and that they had a job to do. And so I tried to factor that in while trying to keep them in tow at the same time. So I was, I was doing it, a balancing act. And it was very difficult when you, you had half the people in the administration fighting against Sawyer. More than I, half, actually. Uh we're going to close with Sergio. I have to ask you 50 years in, and maybe Monroe can weigh in as well. Uh, the, the Godfather, 50 years. I can't believe it's been 50 years, Sergio Mims. Uh, man. <laughs> oh, can I make an announcement before oh, that? Yes. Um, you know the cable channel Turner Classic Movies. Yes. Right. Um, every year, well, this is the first time they'll be back and doing this live in person. Uh, every year at the end of April, they do a classics film festival. They get uh, classic movies. Uh, they, uh, I mean, it's from the morning till night. Uh, they bring in celebrities, uh, writers. Um, it's at the Man Chinese Theater. And um, they bring in a lot of people. And uh, they asked me this year to be involved with it. They're going to fly me out to L.A., and I will be introducing some pictures this year. And doing a Q&A um, uh, with, you know, people, well, if, if this is an old film, most of the people have been passed away, but uh, people who have new people who make the picture and, and those uh, Q and A's probably will be, will be videotaped and televised on TCM, I think uh, at a later date. So um, there is one film I'm, I've asked him to try to get, which is also a 50th anniversary movie. Um, I should know. They told me that I should know this week what the deal is. But this, this is very exciting. And no, is, is, is that movie Sweet Sweetback's Badass Song? No, the movie is, well, I'll, I'll tell you what it is if, if you get it. Uh, Buck and the Preacher. Yeah. Oh, my God. Buck and the Preacher. Yeah. Uh, Harry Belafonte. Yeah. Right. yeah uh, and, and the the Sydney Sydney they, they have, they're doing a Sidney Poitier tribute. 
And uh, I asked him, can you get this movie? Because it's 50 years the movie came out. And also the first movie he directed as well, 48. 48, yeah. And, mm-hmm. and I would love, among the other movies, that's one film I, I love to introduce and do a Q&A with afterwards. So uh, this is very exciting. And, um, and, and, uh, and, 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 and Harry's still alive, so maybe... Yeah, his birthday was two weeks ago. He's 95. Mm. Yeah. Wow. 95. 95. But getting back to the uh, the Godfather. The Godfather was, it's amazing. It was a movie that when they made it, they thought it was going to be a flop. They weren't sure about the picture. They wanted to do something cheap and quick. And um, it was a it was a horrible experience. You know, that's really strange because that happens a lot. When you have a really great experience making a movie, usually the movie turns out lousy. When you have a really terrible experience making a movie, this would be a great film. Weird that way. Coppola was almost fired twice off that movie. Um, and don't forget, when Coppola made that film, he had made, he directed a few pictures, but nothing on this scale. Nothing even remotely on this scale. And um, uh, the uh, the reason he got hired is Italian affirmative action. He got hired because, as Robert Evans was the head of Paramount said, he came from that background. New York City, Italian family. He grew up during that period in 1940s. He, th- there were certain aspects and nuances that he would put on the screen. He would pick up on that another director would have would not have known. And this was a film that a lot of directors wanted to do. A lot of actors wanted to play Don Coyone and Marlon Brando at this time, he was persona he was box office poison. Yes. He was like the last choice they thought. And when he got the part, people were shocked. A lot of actors wanted that role. Yeah. But he got it. And now that role is one of the most iconic roles he ever he ever had in his entire career. You can't imagine anybody else playing that part. No. I uh and he even auditioned to play it. So Sergio, have you seen The Godfather within the last year or so? I say within the last two years. And you know, this month is coming on a 4K. And I have a 4K player, and right over there, mm-hmm. uh, TV and all that, all that sort of stuff. So um, I'm going to get the 4K because because I don't have the Blu-ray anymore because I traded it in when I found out that we're going to come up with a 4K. <laughs> or, or, or you could go to the theater and actually see it. Yeah, that's right. They brought it back. It's not currently playing anywhere. It's just folks know because I've been looking to see it. It's been restored. Uh, Coppola restored it, and. Uh, mm-hmm. I've been looking, Monroe, to see it, go to the movie theater to see it on the big. I want to see it. In the big, I saw Godfather Two uh, was about three years ago. I want to say I yes. saw it on the big screen again. It was so good on the big screen, uh, and I just right I now. Got, the argument: Godfather Two is a better movie. But I will make that argument when we have our show. Uh, I, I just the story is. It goes in directions uh, in Godfather 2 that Godfather 1 doesn't go into that I find fascinating, particularly the whole uh, Senate investigation of the uh, crime fam- family and the, the the interchange between politics uh, and the uh, underworld, I find fascinating. Yeah, but, but what the Godfather does, 
mm-hmm. so brilliantly is the basic um the basic component of storytelling which is you damned if you do and you damned if you don't the dilemma Michael Corleone is put in a situation where he's damned if he does, he damned if he don't. If he doesn't do anything, because he doesn't want to be a gangster, but he doesn't do anything, the family's going to be wiped out. But if he does something, which means he has to be a, become basically a gangster, um, he now goes into that world, which his father did not want him to do. And what happens? He turns out to be the best gangster of all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, until episode three. Yeah. Which is, yeah. So it kind of falls apart. Episode three. I listen, I can't wait to have the conversation. Uh, and I just, part of it is just, just sheer nostalgia. Cause I remember where I was when I saw it, but I got to tell you this, uh, Sergio, uh, and Monroe, I didn't appreciate it when I first saw it. It took like the third or fourth viewing. I guess maybe I was just too young and naive to really appreciate yeah. the Godfather. Yeah, Cause I loved it. I loved it right from right. Just from the jump. Yeah, and, I, and I was worried about number two because I was trying to figure out how could they top this. Yeah. And he did. And yeah. the thing about it is that um, when you get right down to it, it's a story about a family. And everybody with a family can see something of themselves in the Coleones. I'm not saying you have to be an Italian mob family, but there are conflicts, there are issues. Um, I'm going to have to talk about James Kahn's infamous uh, um, fake punch, you know, when he's beating up his 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 brother-in-law, you know, yeah. on the street. Yeah. And you can see, you know, like, he tries to punch him, but he pulls it too, too tight, right? <laughs> and he just punches air, and you see the guy still reacting like he got hit. <laughs> and every time I see that, it kills me. I, I'm gonna have to go back and look at that because I, I wasn't aware of that one. Uh, oh, look at it! You can see, yeah, see it. like it's half-hearted, like he's hitting him, and then but, he does like a right punch. Yeah. But it's half-hearted, and he kind of pulls he pulls it in, but the guy reacts like he just got hit with. It. <laughs> yeah, you know, there's somebody who gets paid to make sure that doesn't show up on the screen. Is it the continuity person or? No, that's that's that. This should have been a retake. Oops, you missed it. Let's do it again. But I don't know for some reason it didn't do it. But um, it, it's a minor thing. But yeah. um, it still is. Uh, it's a, it's an American classic. It's one of the greatest American films ever made. And no matter how many times you can you watch it, and God knows how many times I've watched it, it always grabs you. Yeah. You know, you're fed, even though you've seen everything, you know what's coming, <laughs> you, you, you're riveted to it because um, yeah. it's one of the things that everything is one of those perfect films where the script, the acting, the directing, the cinematography that was very controversial at the time. I'll talk about that. Cinematography was very controversial at the time um, because uh, Gordon Willis, who shot the film, uh, was famous for those shadows, and he put the shadows over the eyes and yeah. darkness. And the older cinematographers hated that because this thing we always got to see the eyes. That was cinematographers back then. We got to see the eyes. And Gordon Willis said, "No, you don't have to see the eyes. Put a shadow over it. You know what's you know what's going on." And he hated that. Hated that. 
you know, but he is still, well, he's passed away now, but he's, yeah. and by the way, Coppola's getting ready to do a new movie now. Yes, he's still, he's working on it. Right. Uh, he this has is a been working on it for a while. He's been in development for a decade, at least, <laughs> more than oh that. Oh, my God. But he said he's got the money. And by the way, can I say, Coppola wines are really good. Okay, well, unsolicited uh, <laughs> affirmation for Coppola's wines. This is, this is somebody who just graduated from Mogan David. <laughs> no, oh my goodness. no, no, Man of Shevitt. Man of All right, uh, I'm going to send that out. Maybe we can get uh, here's a here's a, a fantasy pipe dream. Uh, this conversation between you, Chris Buddy, and myself will be joined by Francis Ford Coppola himself. Uh, wouldn't that be something? Hey, if you promise to have uh, the Godfather analyzed at uh, the next Black Harvest uh, film festival, ain't no black people in it, right? Um, that could be the analyzation. Yeah, why, that could be. <laughs> why are there no wait, black wait, people? Oh, in I gotta ask you this, uh, Sergio. If Coppola said, "I want to come to Chicago to be the post-showing guest," that moment where you interview whoever they you bring in. Uh-huh. And uh, would you say no? No, I say yes. Hell yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would say so. And by the way, let me think about this. In any of the three Godfather movies, are there any black people in them? Uh, well, they, they, they referred to. I know that. No, yeah. Well, you see, they go back to Lori Life with the Superman in Godfather 2. Yes. Oh, my God. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> Who is based on a real person? That's, yes, that was a real oh my person God, in, right. at the time. in Havana. In How Havana. can I forget? <laughs> because you know, oh you my know, God, because this is an awkward cut where he turns around and people go like, "Oh my God!" Yes. Oh, what but, but that's he was a real person in Havana, oh. but he will come down on a swing over the audience. Yeah. How do I know this? Because I'm reading the book. Oh, my goodness. Uh, and that, of course, is the scene where uh, Michael Corleone realizes his brother, his brother sold, uh, him out. Right. sold him out. And right. uh, oh, my God. I, as I said, uh, Monroe and Sergio, I've seen it, mm, both of them, mm-hmm. about 10 times each. So yeah. really look, looking forward to that conversation. And if the movie does come out to the theater, Sergio, I'm going to drag Monroe out of his house. We're going to go down to the movie theater, watch it together. Uh, I dragged him out of his house a couple weeks ago to see a Bulls game. So if I can get him out of the house for a Bulls game, I get him out of the house. Uh, I just realized he got a haircut. Yes, he's looking very good, isn't he? Yeah. Uh, he's looking very good. He got his haircut for the Bulls game, I think. All right. Uh, no, it's not true. I just made that up. All right. Monroe Anderson, Sergio Mims, thank you very much for taking time to talk to me. And, uh, yes, folks, that's just a little taste of the Godfather deep dive uh, that uh, Sergio and I and uh, Chris Buddy will be taking. And he's Chris Buddy is a film junkie, too. Uh, uh, that'd be interesting when those two guys get going. I may just sit back and eat popcorn and watch. Yeah. All right, I want to thank uh, Sergio and Monroe uh, for being on the show. I also want to thank the man, the myth, the legend, the pride of joy at Alton, Illinois, without whom this show would be possible. And as Francis Ford Coppola and Sergio Mims will tell you, back home in Alton, they call him Dr. D. The D stands for Demarvelous. Give yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash. Take care, everybody. Promises.
to, to the residents of Illinois without identifying what the issues are. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.